Welcome to church today. So good to be with you in Mesa and in Ahwatukee. And everyone who's watching online, welcome. We're glad that you're with us as we wrap up this series called Swipe Righteous. Uh, if you're not really familiar with what we're talking about, the concept of swiping right, that's a, a kind of a saying related to the dating game and the apps that are out there in the world today where you swipe right on a person's profile that you are interested in and want to date. And we talked in this series about hooking up and pornography, what to look for in a guy, what to look for in a girl. We've talked about sex and marriage. We're going to talk about today how to date righteous. So how to date, now that you know what kind of person to look for, we're going to talk about how to date. And I think this will still be helpful for everyone. It's going to be good. Next week, we're starting a new series studying the parables of Jesus that Jesus taught. And it's going to be helpful for you and really fun as we learn what Jesus taught in these parables. Sometimes people don't understand what these parables mean, but we're going to just engage with that. So come back next week. That's going to be great. I want you to know when it comes to dating, there's no perfect strategy for dating, is there? In the church right now, we have people, all different types of stories for how you met each other and got together. And some of you, your relationship started kind of weird and messy. Uh, and, and then some of you, your relationship was messy, but then God did a miracle in your life. And now your relationship is really healthy. Right? But I just want our church family to know how to date righteous in the first place so you don't have to rely on a miracle <laughs> in order to have a good relationship. And there's no exact step-by-step -step formula for how to date in the Bible because the Bible was written for all people over the last 2,000 years who live in different countries and cultures. So dating's different in different cultures, and it's changed throughout time, but there are biblical truths in the Bible and principles, things we can apply to our lives that will give us wisdom as we decide to date. Uh, and so I'm talking today to anyone who's not married, okay? So maybe you're single, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're even engaged and you're almost married. I'm still talking to you. Until you cross the finish line, it's not too late to eject. Okay, so if I can help you break that relationship up, that might be a good thing. Uh, what I'm going to do is cover seven keys for dating uh, in a way that is righteous so that you can have a healthy romantic relationship if you decide to go down this path. Okay, does that sound good? Yeah. I just want to say this. Single people, single people at Generation Church, those who have never been married, <laughs> divorced, um, widowed, this church is for you. Yeah. We believe in you. We love you. We celebrate you. We have your back. At this church, you are not a second-class citizen. Citizen, okay? You are complete. You're made perfect. God loves you exactly as you are, and you need to know that. But if you decide to date, I want you to be equipped to make good decisions. So here's what we're going to do. You can take notes, um, or you can not take notes if you don't care about your relationship. It's up to you. Uh, it's okay. Either way, your decision. So first, you can write this down. If you're going to have a healthy relationship, deal with your past before you build your future. You've got to do this. Everyone has a past. You have a past. The thing about your past is it never stays where you left it, does it? Yeah. 
We've all dealt with difficult relationships, and and maybe you've had painful relationships in your past. You need to take a mental inventory of your past relationships and consider how those might affect you as you go into your future relationships. So if you had absent parents or a bad parent or abusive parents, you're going to carry that with you into a new relationship. Uh, If your father was absent, whether you're a guy or a girl, that's going to affect how you think about dating and relationships. If you didn't have parents that stayed together, maybe they split up, it might make you more likely statistically to consider splitting up. If you were abused, you might be cautious and hesitant to trust someone in a new relationship. You've got to think about these things and deal with them before you start a new relationship. Some of you are in relationships right now and they've been tricky and difficult and strained at times and you don't even realize that your past has been affecting you and how you talk to the person you're with now, how you think about, maybe you've been suspicious, maybe you've been worried about trusting and being vulnerable because you've been hurt in the past. You need to deal with that, and the way to deal with it is to first go to God, to talk to Him, to ask Him to heal you. It's to get biblical counsel, to get wise counsel from other people, maybe to get counseling from a a licensed counselor, and and be healed. Allow God to heal you in your spirit. A broken past does not prevent you from having a blessed future. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might have had the worst possible past, but you could have an amazing future if you allow the Lord to work in your life and transform you. Psalm 103 says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't that powerful. I had, I had a messy past when I started dating my wife. I had been in a, an unhealthy relationship before I was uh, serving Jesus, and the person I was married to, she left, and, and she divorced me, and I, I was really wounded by that. And when I started serving Jesus and following him, um, God really changed me. But I got to be honest, I don't think I really dealt with that past in the full extent that I should have, in the, in the way that I should have. So when I started dating Amy, I had this shame and some of these wounds still that was, it was affecting me in our relationship. And she was very patient with me and very godly and very caring. But if she wouldn't have been such a strong woman of God, it would have possibly really hurt her. It could have hurt our relationship. I needed to deal with my past. So if you have pain and brokenness in your past, deal with it. Know that God, he can heal you. He can redeem your life from the pit, from death. He can redeem your bad relationships and even use them for good in your future relationships. He can restore your youth. Maybe you were with someone before that you feel like they aged you 20 years, right? God can restore your youth. He can fill your life with good things, right? It says he crowns me with love and tender mercies. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about a woman of God and how an excellent wife is a crown on her husband's head. Well, God has brought a crown to my head with an excellent wife, a woman of God. He's redeemed my life and he'll do it for you too. Do you believe that? Deal with your past before you build 
your future. I love Pastor Rick Warren. He said, we are products of our past, but we don't have to remain prisoners of our past. So your past does not have to define your future, but deal with it, deal with it. Okay, now that you decide to get going in the dating game, here's what I want to talk about. First, you got to put yourself out there. Okay, you got to put yourself out there. You've got to be around people if you want to have relationships with people. Uh, recently, I was trying to sell an old piece of furniture on Craigslist, an old, uh, it was a coffee table, and I wasn't getting any nibbles, you know, like... No emails asking, is this still for sale? No emails from princes in Nigeria, nothing. And I was like, why does nobody want my coffee table? It's a good deal. It's a, and so I went back and I looked at my account. It turned out I had created this post, but I had never published the post. And I've just learned over time that if you want to sell something, you have to list it for sale. It's the same with you in your relationships. If you're single and ready to mingle, you've got to mingle. You've got to put your, and I know some single people, they're so inconspicuous about it. It's like they're undercover CIA agents <laughs> trying to fly under the radar. and They don't want to, you know, be noticed. And, and when they do come to church, they sneak in and they sneak out and, and, and they don't really talk to people. And if you're like that, if you're doing that, it's going to be hard for you to discover the person that God wants to bring into your life. I, I've met girls, they're like, I, I just don't want to have to really put myself out there. I don't want to date. I don't want to have to date. God will just bring the right man to me at the right time. Like, I'm just going to stay home, just locked up, secure. I won't get hurt. I'm going to trust God to bring the right man. Listen, if you stay locked up at home, the only guy who's going to come into your life is the UPS delivery guy. <laughs> You got to put yourself out there. So I think about Ruth. Ruth in Ruth chapter 3, her mother-in-law said this to her. She was single. Mother-in-law said, now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume. That's just good dating advice right there. All the parents, you're going to want to play this back for your junior hires this week. Take a bath and put on deodorant. Just do it. Be like Ruth. Dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz, Boaz was her boy. That was the guy she had her sights set on. He was single. She, she wanted to have a relationship with him. Don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. That's also good dating relationship <laughs> advice, right? It's like, wait till that guy's happy and satisfied. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now, if you haven't been at church very much, you're not maybe been saved a long time, this isn't going where you think it's going, okay? <laughs> That's not how dating works. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, verse 8 says, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Understandable. Who are you? He asked. Uh, when you get busy following Jesus, when you put yourself out there, um, as a Christian, some of the best ways you can do that is to get involved with your church. And I think, what better place to meet a future spouse than your church? Right? Right? Do you want to meet your future spouse at the bar 
or at the Bible study. Like, just think about it, right? Just common sense. Go to church. Get involved. You should get involved by serving. Get involved in a life group. Be present at church on a regular basis. And you'll notice that as you get busy doing God's work, following the Lord, you're going to find that he brings the right kind of people in front of your path. Like, you'll be serving on the welcome team and welcoming people to church. And then you'll notice some beautiful single lady walking in. You'll be like, Boaz said, who are you? Right? You'll notice that as you're connected to a church family, single people, you'll start to notice each other. And because you're connected, you can go to other friends in your life group, people that you're serving with, and be like, yo, who, who is that? Like, is he available? Right? Uh, and that's how God will use your church family to help you get connected. And I've noticed that when you focus on following Jesus and becoming the right one, that's when God will lead you to the right one. Serving at church, being in a small group, go on missions trips, just get connected. You'll discover that God will use that. So when I and Amy, when we started dating, uh, we uh, were both kind of doing our own things at different churches at the time. And Amy and I had been friends for a long time. And so we had been in communication. She knew I was here. She knew I was single. And like Ruth, she had her sights set on me. Okay. So... She just discovered where I was going to be, and she just kind of, you know, put herself out there. She, she just came to some of the events that we were doing with our young adults, and uh, she didn't flirt with me, really. She was just nice. She didn't throw herself at me. She wasn't texting me. Uh, she just put herself out there. She was around. And I'll tell you, single people, like especially single girls, you're wondering, like, does he notice me? If he's single, he notices you. Don't worry. <laughs> He does. He notices. He's asked about you. He's, he's forming a plan. And, and I was thinking about Amy, and I was praying about if we should date, but I, I wasn't flirting with her either. And she was just patient. She just put herself out. She was just around, okay? She was patient. And then eventually, I did. I, I asked her out, but she made herself available. Like, I remember going to a, an event with young adults. We went to the park, and we were playing volleyball, a bunch of young adults, and, and Amy was out there playing volleyball with us. She hates volleyball. <laughs> She's not good at it. But I noticed her. I was like, oh, she is good looking. Okay. And, and eventually, the relationship did develop. So God is sovereign, but we need to participate in his plan. Amen. Put yourself out there. Here's the next thing. Um, if she's worth it, he should work it. If she's worth it, he should work it. Otherwise, that guy don't deserve it, right? Like, he needs to work it. She put herself out there. She's available, but he needs to initiate contact. He needs to pursue her. I believe that biblically the best thing is for a guy to pursue the gal, okay? So that's not always the way it works out. Someone's like, well, is it okay for a woman to pursue a man? And I would say, it's not wrong, but it's not that right. It's like, it's kind of, it's just, it's like when someone moves to Arizona, but they keep on rooting for the Seahawks, you know? It's like, it's not a sin per se, but it's just not righteous. The reason that a guy should pursue 
a girl, I believe, is because that allows him to take the lead in a relationship, okay? And we talked about in previous weeks how a man of God needs to lead his family, lead his spouse. And this is his first opportunity to exercise his leadership muscle. This is why, gals, you want to let him pursue you. You can put yourself out and around him, but let him pursue you because that's your chance to assess him and test him to evaluate, will he lead you? This is where you get to examine him as a leader. Like, is he gonna have the courage to initiate contact with you? Is he gonna have a plan when he asks you out on a date? You know, it's okay, guys, to show up and be like, do you want Chinese or do you want Mexican? But, like, have a plan of some sort. Is he gonna show up and be ready to pay for that day? Like, he should pay, right? And I know, I know some guys are like, I can't afford dinner. You need to at least then just like take her to coffee, get coffee, right? If you're saying, I can't afford coffee, you cannot afford a girlfriend either. Trust me. <laughs> you just wait. You need to let a little more time go by. But don't let a guy just kind of play games, ladies. Don't let him play games. There are some guys, they're not ready to be leaders. They're still kind of passive. They're kind of weak. They're maybe a little insecure. They're a little nervous. And we love them. We're praying for them. But they're just not ready to date yet. And so they'll play these games. They'll just kind of like throw out fishing hooks to see if you bite. You know, like, oh, oh hey, I like, you're, you're cute. Just little posts on your comments on your, on your social media. Like, oh, 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 yeah, you're really pretty. Like, so, can I help you? Like, sending you messages, sending you DMs, like, ha, that's so funny. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, do you need something, right? Do, he, what he's doing is just, he's putting out a, a hook. He's, he's fishing and waiting to see if you'll bite, if you'll initiate the romantic relationship and take the pressure off of him. Because then he doesn't have to risk rejection. And that's just a sign of weakness. Listen, guys, you have to be willing to accept the, the possibility that you could be rejected as you pursue a girl. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, guys, you need to be willing to just pursue and ask and just see what happens. And I would say if you don't have the confidence to deal with just a little bit of rejection, you might not be ready to date at all. If, if you ask her out and, and she says uh, no, which ladies, I wanna say if a guy asks you out, it's okay to say no. You don't have to make up an excuse. You don't have to protect his feelings. You definitely don't have to go out with him just to make him feel better about himself. I've seen gals though, they're like, I don't know what to do. He asked me out, I don't wanna hurt his feelings. And so I just said yes. Like, don't do that. You're not doing either of you any favors. I, I've seen girls, they start making up excuses. Like, I, I can't go out this weekend. I have to do my taxes. I just, I, you know. It's like, just say no thanks. You can even tell him straight up, like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> then he can move on, right? He can move on and, and look for someone else. And, and guys, if she says no, that's a test of your character. You need to just say, okay, you know, if you know you're confident yourself, like, that's her loss. I'm going to go keep looking. But don't start attacking the girl that you were just about to ask out on a date. And I've seen guys do that. Like, oh, pff, she's stuck up. She's full of herself. Yeah, she thinks she's too good for me. No, she just doesn't want to date you, bro. Stop throwing a fit. Okay? Ladies, just be willing to say no. Guys, deal with it. Um, I want to say this. Genesis 29, verse 18. Guys, you got to work it. 
Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, talking to her dad. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww. Right? He was willing to work it. He pursued her. He worked hard for her. He figured out the plan. He figured out what he had to do. Guys, you got to be willing. You got to be willing to work it. And I'll say this, ladies, if he's worth it, he's going to work it. Guys, if she's worth it, be willing to do the work. It's going to be some work, but you got to be willing to do that. Here's the next thing. When you start the relationship, pursue friendship first. Pursue friendship first. A good marriage requires a good friendship. So as you start to date, the the goal is not to figure out if you can have this romantic walk to remember experience. It's to figure out, can you be friends? Will you be good friends? Are you a good match? Is there compatibility? A great marriage only happens because people are great friends. So Song of Solomon is a book in the Bible. If you haven't read it, it's very romantic. It's two young married couple, uh, a couple talking to each other. These two young uh, guys, guy and a girl. Uh, it's very hot and steamy. It's like rated, rated R for sure. Don't let your kids read it. Um, but here's what it says. Such, O women of Jerusalem, is my lover, my friend. So what she's saying is, my lover is my friend. He's my friend. And I think we overlook this sometimes. That's the goal. You should pursue dating, date the person that you go out with in a way that if it doesn't work out, you could still be friends. And in order to be possible, that means that as you start going out with each other, you don't need to start making out right away. You don't got to start cuddling right away. Just get to know each other. As friends, when I started dating Amy, I finally did ask her out. Um, she was wondering there for a minute, and she was about ready just to give up because I wasn't pursuing her, and then I did. I did, and so we started dating, but I wanted to take it slow, okay? I wanted to slow it down so that if for some reason it didn't work out, it would reduce, it would lessen the potential damage to her, her heart. So I was taking it slow, so like I didn't even hold her hand for two weeks. We're just talking. We're just getting to know each other, and... And I was very clear about the beginning of this relationship. I was like, we should be in a relationship. And I, I kind of like just went right. We had been friends for a while, okay? So I was just like, this is like getting serious. But still, slow. Um, four weeks had gone by, and then I finally kissed her. Okay, four weeks of dating, then we kissed. Amy was starting to wonder. She was like, did I misunderstand or something? Are we just buddies, or are you going to kiss me at some point? Like, I got there, like, totally, don't worry. Now we kiss a lot. So, (laughs) still, but we were pursuing friendship first. And here's what you need to do as you pursue friendship Um, constantly define the relationship. Define the relationship. And, guys, she is wondering what the status of the relationship is. So you need to take the lead and just have conversation about this, define the relationship. Where is this going? Are we still friends or is this getting more serious? And maybe you're like, I don't know. I don't know, but just talk about it. Be open. Um, Also, you have to evaluate your compatibility. Be thinking about this. Could we be good together as a married couple? If, If the answer is no, then we can just be friends, but we're not gonna keep spending so much time together alone. 
So are we compatible? Do we have the same values? Do we share the same faith in Jesus? If the answer is no, it's over. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. The relationship is over. Hopefully you figure that out before you even win out, but is your faith compatible? And then talk about things like your life purpose, you know? Do you have goals? Do you have dreams that the other person's goals and dreams might not be compatible with? Do you have very different philosophies on raising children or disciplining children or on money, on spending money? Who's gonna manage the money in your household? Talk about things like that. What works for you? Next, you gotta get wise counsel. As you're pursuing friendship, as you're getting to know each other, get wise counsel in that phase. Um, Ask parents, ask your friends, ask um, your life group members, ask your pastors, whoever is in your life, like, hey, what do you think about him? You've seen us dating a little bit. Like, what do you think about us? Do we seem good together? Listen to them. Then listen, because they might say, like, yo, man, um, I know that you're into her because she's pretty, but you don't realize that she's also crazy. Because, <laughs> guys, like, we can just get blinded to the truth, right? Like, oh, but she's so pretty, and we don't see danger. Listen to people. Get wise counsel. And then I want to say this. Regulate your time together. Pace yourself. Slow it down. Because some people, they get so excited about this new relationship, and they just start spending every day together, and they're together every night. And if you do that, what will happen is the relationship will be artificially accelerated. It will become more difficult to stay physically pure. You'll get overtaken by the relationship. You won't have enough time together to evaluate one another's character, but you'll be ready for the next step before you're actually ready for it. You'll be thinking, well, we should get married because we've spent six months worth of time dating in the last six weeks. But you need to slow it down. Just regulate this. If all your friends start texting you to find out if you're still alive, you've spent too much time together, okay? Pace yourself. As people are pursuing friendship, I want to say this to church, to our families, to parents, don't overreact. Okay? They're just pursuing friendship. Going out on a date for coffee is not a contract that these two couple, these two people have to get married. Okay? It's not a contract. They're not betrothed because they went to dinner together. Don't overreact. Friends, don't overreact to your friends. Like if she goes out with a guy, just like give her some space. You know? You don't have to ask, like, is he the one? She doesn't know yet. She's pursuing friendship. I want to say to parents, like moms. Don't overreact. Moms, I know you think, you know, your kids are just adorable and cute and you love everything they do, but this is not the time to follow them around with your video recorder, capturing every moment of the dating relationship, posting on social media, like, aren't they cute? They're the cutest couple ever. Like, they're supposed to still just be pursuing friendship and finding out if they're compatible. And if you've already matched them up together as the couple of the century, they're going to feel all kinds of pressure to stay together even after they realize that they're not right for each other because worried about your feelings mom just slow your roll you should talk to your daughter about her dating life like you ask about the weather you know like is it gonna rain today you know does Jesus reign in his heart just asking okay okay that's cool 
And that's all you really, once they get engaged, then you can get more involved, then you can like gush over them, that's fine. But just kind of slow down. And then church family, church family, don't overreact when people start dating, okay? Uh, they're not married yet, so we don't have to start getting all like, oh, did you see they're together now? Like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, uh, just like let them be. Just let them be because they're going out, they're pursuing friendship, and if it doesn't work out, they're going to figure it out. If they're not figuring out, then we'll, we'll say something, okay, as, as church family, but, but just give people space to pursue friendship. Next, this is the next major point. You can write this down. Prioritize purity. Prioritize purity. Jesus uses human marriage throughout the Bible as a metaphor for his relationship and his love for the church. The church. Marriage is the union of two separate people becoming one. Just like when we get saved and accept Jesus, we become one with him through our faith. It's a different type of covenant, but they're both covenant relationships. Um, Sex is the most intimate form of bonding that two people can experience. Sex is a way to seal and initiate the covenant of marriage. That's actually biblically when the marriage officially begins, when two people have sex. It's not when they say, I do, on the altar, but when they physically become one, that, God says, is the spiritual representation of them becoming one. And so we know that the benefits of physical sexual relationships are supposed to come after we get married. That's what the Bible says. Just like it's not until after we accept Jesus and become a part of his family that we experience all the benefits of being in his family, all the joy, all the peace, all the strength. The same is true for marriage. It's after you say, I do, and commit yourselves to each other, then you experience all the benefits of being married, sexual benefits. And sex is a benefit of being married. It's just supposed to be enjoyed in marriage, okay? So Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 5. Again, this woman is talking, and she says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. That's the important part, that last part. Don't awaken love until the time is right. So in the ideal world, if we were following God's plan, young people would grow up and not experience any sexuality until they get married. And the benefit of that would be that that part of them, their sexuality, would not be awakened with no outlet. It would not be awakened until the time is right when they're married. That's the time to unleash the beast. That's the time, right? But if they start having sexual experiences, right, then they're going to awaken that part of themselves, and it's really difficult to contain that. It's like once you pop the fun, don't stop, basically. You know, it's hard to say no. You can't have just one. It's difficult. Uh, Now, with God's help, it is possible to control yourself and to restrain yourself, even if you've had sex in your past, right? But that's God's ideal. That's his plan, that we would not experience sex until we get married. Okay, that's what we see here, that there are a lot of people who are having sex and they're not married. This is common in the culture that we live in today. In fact, um, waiting till you get married to have sex is considered weird to most people in our society. And if that's true, then church, you want to be weird. Trust me, you wanna be weird. 
So you want to wait because God's plan is better. And waiting for the right time to experience this great thing, it makes it so much better. It's blessed. It's good. But then there are people who are having sex outside of marriage. Some of them are Christians. They call themselves Christians. They come to church. They know what God says, but they're like, yeah, but. Okay, so I just want to talk about that for a minute. Any sex outside of marriage is a sin. Just need to know that, what the Bible says. Just going to say that again, because some people don't want to hear that. Any sex outside of marriage is a sin. Okay. But there are excuses I hear, so I want to address those excuses. First, it's not wrong if we love each other. That's what I hear. It's not wrong if we love each other. Just know, the Bible makes no distinction between married love and unmarried uh, sex. Rather, married sex... Okay, let me say that again. The Bible makes no distinction between loving sex and unloving sex. That's what I was trying to say with the words. So the only biblical distinction is between married people and unmarried people when it comes to sex. And the Bible clearly shows us that within marriage... Sex is blessed by God. Outside of marriage, sex is not blessed. It's called by the Bible fornication or sexual immorality. It is clearly a sin. Any sex not in God's boundaries, the boundaries which are meant to protect us and keep us safe, any sex outside those boundaries is a sin with God. Second, I hear this excuse. We're planning to get married someday, so that makes it okay. That's like stealing something and saying, I was going to pay someday. <laughs> right? It just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. We talked about Jacob being engaged to Rachel, and he went to work for her dad for seven years. He had a contract. He was working hard for that girl. He was working it, but he still wasn't getting any. He wasn't having sex with her. Okay? He went to her dad, actually, at the end of his seven years, Genesis chapter 29, verse 21. Jacob said to Laban, that was her dad, give me my wife, man. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. <laughs> After seven years, he deserved it, didn't he? He was ready. He was ready. But they weren't having sex. They weren't. They planned to get married but they still weren't having sex. God does not care about your intentions. He cares about your submission. He wants you to submit to his commands, not to twist his commands into suggestions. Sex is for after marriage. Here's another excuse. Times have changed, Pastor Ryan. Times have changed, and I know it was wrong then, but this is no longer considered a sin. We're much more enlightened now about these things. That just doesn't make sense biblically. Um, we think about Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, just one example where the Bible talks about sexual immorality and other sins that are clumped together. It says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then it lists all these types of results, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
any, so whenever the Bible talks about sexual immorality in the New Testament, it usually discusses it in conjunction with other sins like stealing or lying or getting into fights, right? And, and we have no difficulty understanding that those other sins are still wrong in God's eyes. So why would people try to say that sex now has changed? God does not change his character and update it with the cultural trends. He is steady. He is the same, okay? Here's another excuse. We're married in God's eyes. Apparently, some people think God is cross-eyed. God is the one who created marriage and defined it. He has a very clear picture of what it looks like. So he does not contradict himself about what marriage is. And for us living in America today, there are currently, there's two elements of marriage. There's a legal element and there's a spiritual element. So legally, we should, out of respect for the governing authorities, as scripture describes, do what we can to submit to the governing authorities and follow the legal process for being married. Okay, it hasn't always been that way throughout every country in the history of the world, um, but right now we are able to follow the guidelines, so we should. And then there's the spiritual element where we should have a ceremony and commit ourselves to one another before God and man. So I would say for a couple, if you haven't had a ceremony, if you haven't gotten the marriage license, you might say you're married in God's eyes, but you're not. You're not. You, and just because you try to redefine it, God knows what marriage is and what it's not, and he takes it very seriously. Here's another excuse. I can still have a good relationship with God because God understands my situation. Like, I kind of have a situation going on, and, you know, God, he knows. He knows my situation. He understands. So I'll tell you this. Even if you would say your relationship with God is all good, I'll tell you that if you're living in unrepentant sin and having sex with someone you're not married to, God would not say it's all good. He would. He already said it's not all good. In fact, Proverbs 28 verse 9 says this, God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. So God's like, it's not all good. And that's just one example, okay? In fact, Jesus said, those who love me are the ones who accept my commands and obey them. That's the way that you can tell you're in a good relationship with God because you desire to obey his commands and accept them. If God was just going to make exceptions for us on a case-by-case basis, why did Jesus have to die for the whole world? Like, he could have just made exceptions for everyone. Here's the last excuse. I'll just cover this. People will say, you can't judge me. Don't judge me, bro. The problem is that many people, even people that go to church, don't understand what it means to judge. Biblically, judgment comes with condemnation and punishment. There are repercussions. Um, What we're doing right now, we're talking about sexual immorality and that it's a sin. That's not judging. Biblically, that's called rebuking and correcting. And that's something we're supposed to do for each other in the church so that when we do make mistakes, when we do sin, we can gently, we can restore each other to God's ways. We can fix it together. That's what we're supposed to do. Judging is when you say, you're dead to me, you're a terrible person, we're kicking you out, you're done, right? That's judging. We don't judge, and that's not even what this is. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
That's what we do in church on a very regular basis. We restore gently by saying, this is wrong. And we care about you. That's why we're addressing these issues, not because God wants to steal your fun. He wants to give you something even better that's good for you. He wants to protect you from danger. So let us just gently restore you and push you back on the right path. Right? Let us just help you with this so you can repent of your sin. It is a sin. You can receive God's forgiveness and you can stop doing what's wrong. God wants to restore you. So this church is not going to judge you, even if you're living sexually immoral. Um, but I will point out, the Bible says that God will judge sexual immorality. God is the one who will judge these things. Hebrews 13, verse 4, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So this is so important. I feel like this is something that we just need to talk about because in our church especially, we have a lot of people in our church who either aren't even saved yet or they just got saved or they have very little exposure to Christianity. Some of them don't even know that they're not supposed to be sleeping together. They just heard that five minutes ago. Right now they're processing a lot of emotions. But that's the truth, right? And so I want to just clearly explain this. Um, once you know what is true, you have a responsibility to do what's right. And it's so important that as Christians, we do what is right, not what's convenient. And I think that we have to recognize that if we go on sinning after we know what's right, it compromises our own testimony and it undermines the cause of Christ. So recently I had a person call the church, left me a voicemail, and said, Pastor Ryan, I'm not a Christian yet, but I've been coming to your church. It's cool. I like it. Maybe I'll get saved one day. And he said, um, but I noticed that my friend that goes to the church, some of my friends are still sleeping with their girlfriends. And I asked him about it, like, well, why are you doing that if you know that it's a sin? And my friend said to me, uh, don't judge me. You can't judge me. And so this guy says to me, I'm confused. How are Christians any different than the world? This is what happens when Christians don't do what's right. This hypocrisy turns people off from Jesus. We're misrepresenting Jesus. And, and it's not saying that we're going to be perfect, right, church? We're not perfect. But we just have to make the effort to do what's right once we know what's right. Okay, so just evaluate this um, in your life. And if you have been impure physically, we're not condemning you. This is not to make you feel guilty. I'm just calling you out of love towards repentance so that you can receive God's forgiveness. Then you can put boundaries in place. You can have accountability with other Christians who can check in with you, like how you doing, you know? You can make it right. Okay, so once you're dating and you like each other, you're into each other, you want to sign each other up for a long-term contract, here's the next step. Put a ring on it. Put a ring on it. Get engaged. Make it official. Start the process of getting married, okay? Don't get engaged just because you feel like that's the next step or because you're getting pressured, but do it once you decide, this is the person I want to marry. And then once you get engaged, hold on because it's about to get crazy. This phase of your relationship is a whirlwind. All the married people say amen. It's crazy. This phase of your relationship, it'll be so strained. It's one of the most difficult phases in your relationship, I think. It's when you get engaged because you end up dealing with a lot of married people problems without experiencing a lot of married people pleasure, right? So it gets really tense. 
and really difficult. You're dealing with family expectations and money and all, all these things, but, but it's challenging. So once you get engaged, I think you want to be pretty sure before that point, really confident. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the person I want to get to because engagement is not the time to be trying to figure that out. It's difficult to figure that out. Once you're engaged, get pre-marriage counseling, okay? And you can get it even before you're engaged, but in pre-marriage counseling, they'll walk you through some things to help you just finalize and solidify your decision. Is this a good decision? It's important to get that kind of counseling, I think. Don't rush into engagement, Okay. It gets difficult. Like even Jesus' own parents almost didn't make it through the engagement phase. Some of you don't know the Bible. You don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. But I would recommend once you do get engaged, don't stay engaged for too long if you can avoid it. Like you don't want to be engaged for too long. You don't want to be engaged for too short of an amount of time if, if possible. I would say generally just my pastoral opinion is like four to nine months is about the ideal time frame. Maybe up to a year, but then it gets even really difficult. Couples that are at that last like 11 months, 12 months, they're always there just like, oh, kill me. I just, I just hear this all the time, right? So I would say, like, try to make it a little bit quicker. Um, don't rush into engagement just because you're excited to get married and you're lonely and you're ready for the next phase of life. Otherwise, you're taking a huge risk. You need enough time to evaluate one another's character. Um, if you're living in sin sexually, like we talked about, um, then first just stop and then if you want, you could get married. That is an option. If you're saying, well, I don't really know if I want to marry this person. Here's your sign. <laughs> like, move out in the relationship. But wanting to have sex, the Bible says, is a good reason to get married. I'm just going to cover this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And all God's people said Amen. <laughs> But I wouldn't just marry someone so you can have sex, because that doesn't work out well. Then some people, they wait too long to get uh, engaged, I would say. Sometimes they're trying to get all the financial parts of their life perfect. You don't need to be really well off financially to get engaged. You might both be broke, but two broke people with a budget will do better together than separate, right? Like, it, it can be okay. Like, you don't need a super lavish, expensive wedding. The wedding industry will tell you you need to spend a bajillion dollars on your wedding. You don't need to do that. You don't have to buy an engagement ring worth two months' salary. Like, only guys said amen right there. <laughs> All the girls are like, mm, this guy. Boo. Okay, that's crazy. I, I just want to point out historically that it wasn't until after the Great Depression um, this phrase was coined, a diamond is forever. All the engagement rings at the local pawn shop will tell you that it's not. But you'll be paying for that diamond forever. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying, like, you can give her a diamond engagement ring, but just be reasonable. It doesn't have to be the most expensive thing ever. It can be reasonable. Um, some people let fear stop them from in getting engaged and going to the next step. Maybe something in your past, a failed relationship, and you're scared. And so you're asking these questions like, well, how do I know it will work out? Listen, you don't know. 
You don't know. It's not a guarantee. Um, but it's not about trying to discern, are, are they definitely the right one? It's about deciding we're going to choose to be one. It's a choice. So once you decide, like, we're going to be one, then, then you just go forward together. It, it does take faith. All covenant relationships require faith. You'll never know with 100% certainty. It does require an element of faith. So we're not going to push people into marriage by any stretch, um, but I believe in marriage. I love marriage. God loves marriage. Strong marriages lead to strong families, strong children, strong churches, strong communities, and then strong families are able to really contribute to building the kingdom of God. Here's the last thing. We're getting to the close of this. Don't quit once you commit. Once you get married, don't quit dating. You should keep dating your spouse. That's not the time to cash it in and relax and coast. You need to keep doing the work, pursuing your spouse and dating one another. I'm going to invite my awesome wife, Amy, to the stage. She's an amazing pastor, leader, wife. And most importantly, Amy is my best friend, okay? And so when I think about marriage and relationships and dating, I think about the different postures that people take in relationships. So there's this posture that you kind of you take. And, and the first posture is like this face-to-face -face posture. And we're in this posture a lot when we're in the, the phase of dating. Yeah. You just spend all this time together just loving each other, just soaking one another up, enjoying each other. You don't even have to really deal with life. You're just all about each other. Tell me about your hopes and your dreams. Oh, girl, you're amazing. Right? This is face-to-face -face dating. Then you typically get married, and when you're married, you live your life shoulder to shoulder yeah. for the most part. You're now, you're accomplishing your purpose together. Right. You're walking through life together, shoulder to shoulder, hopefully hand in hand, taking on life as you go. Even in this phase, though, now that you're trying to build a life together and raise kids, you have to stop and pause to come back together to spend time face to face, right. to date, yes. to focus on each other and, and not all the other distractions around you, but to just come back and be intimate with one another, okay? And then what happens to a lot of people is they find themselves in this position where they're just living life back to back. Like, they don't really interact with each other that much. They're just kind of fighting to survive. And, you know, you take care of the kids. I'll put food on the table. Um, don't try to bother me along the way. We're just surviving together. They're sometimes like roommates more than uh, partners, right? So we have to then force ourselves, if you find yourself in that position, to come back together, yep. to, to come back face to face. Some people are like, well, we can't come face to face right now. We'll just fight. You have to address this and fix it. Some relationships, one person wants to have intimacy and the other person is just not accessible or available. Okay. It's so important that even after you get married, you're committed to pursuing yes. intimacy, to dating your spouse. You have to have date night. Amen. Date night. <laughs> That means you go out and you spend time together. Yes. You have to get away. If you um, are poor and you're like, we can't afford to go out, you can have a cheap date night. That's right. right. Just like last night, me and Amy were coming home from a family event, and she was like, hey, you want to go for a walk? I was like, yes, I love 
going for walks with my wife, and it's a super cheap date. Doesn't have to be fancy. Right? We just go for a walk. That's we right. talk, and we're walking along through our neighborhood, and we're talking, and um, we stop and like make out randomly, just like. <laughs> so, if you live in my neighborhood and you ever see me making out in front of your house, like it's just <laughs> date night, okay? So. You don't have to have a lot of money. Some people say, well, we can't take care of the kids. It's too difficult to, to get someone to watch them. Listen, the best thing you can do for your kids is have a healthy relationship. So true. To spend so this time face to face. That's the most important thing you can do for them. So figure it out. People like, well, how do we find time on the calendar for family time, for date night? It's not something you find. It's something you make. That's right. You don't find time, you make time. Right. This time goes on the calendar before all other times. It's so important to come back face to face to have a healthy friendship. Yeah. That's so important that we have a friendship and Amy and I are friends. And I will always prioritize my marriage and my friendship with Amy over all my other responsibilities, over this church, over any other friendship because she is number one. And if I don't have a healthy friendship with her, guess what, soon we're not gonna have a healthy church either. I'll just tell you that. So she's most important. I won't have anything else in my life work right if this isn't working right. So I got to work it, right. right? We both have to work it. It takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. And it's so important. Yes. In a healthy marriage, you need to pray together, play together, and lay together. Amen. <laughs> All right. Just soak that up for a minute. You got to pray together. And that is literally um, praying together. I would say talk about what God's doing in your life together. Go to church together. Talk about the Lord with your family. That's, That's important. Good. Um, then you have to play together. I think you need to have fun together. Find some kind of shared interest. It could be anything. You could go for a walk together. You could. Me and Amy like to work out. Um, I have this fantasy that one day we'll play golf together, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> like you know. Maybe someday. Never. Yeah, but. <laughs> Uh, it's important. And then you got to lay together, yeah. right? Like, it's important. You need to have a healthy sexual relationship um, and a frequency in the bedroom of sexual intimacy, okay? And I thought all the guys are going to be like, amen. But anyways, <laughs> so... Recently, we did this marriage assessment just to evaluate our relationship and stuff. And out of that, we were having some good conversations and we have, we have this great marriage. But we were asking, you know, well, how could we improve in these areas? Amy said, I, I would think we should pray together more. I said, I, I was wanting to play together more, like, you know, spend more time. Um, we were doing really good in the other category, okay? So <laughs> don't hate the player, right? Like, just. just it's good. It's all good there. But every relationship can improve. That's right. You know, so your homework this week is to spend time together and have this conversation. Like, hey, what can we improve in our relationship? Some people ask the question, like, well, how often should, you know, in a healthy marriage, couples have sex? And I would say, as often as you need in order to be satisfied. As often as either of you need. And honestly, like, it's not just a guy's problem. Sometimes there's gals who are like, I'm more interested than my husband. Um, we have a duty to each other to serve one another in this way. The Bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Yeah. Right? So girl, like this is yielded to you. You're welcome. Like it's, it's, it's yours. Have your way with me. It says, uh, it says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a, a time, a short time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So in a healthy marriage, both, couple, they, both people, they need to make an effort yes. to have frequent uh, sexual intimacy, um, to fulfill one another's needs. There's a duty to do that for your spouse. Right. Uh, sex is not meant to be a bargaining tool tool in your marriage like you know if you if you help clean up after dinner then maybe I'll take care of you like you know like that's not the way it's supposed to work right. um, right. and it doesn't mean that you're always gonna get what you want exactly when you want it we learned that lesson when we were in kindergarten um, but it does mean that you're gonna both make an effort to care for one another's needs don't deprive each other in this area or else you will become unsatisfied sexually and the Bible says that makes it more difficult to control your nature like your, your sexual nature it can lead you into temptation it's like when you go to Costco but you're really hungry you know <laughs> And your star, so all the samples start to look really good, and you don't really feel like eating a spinach ravioli right now, but you're just like starving. This is the trouble people get into when they're not being satisfied in their marriage sexually. So fulfill one another's needs. And if you have this question and you're concerned right now, you're like, my spouse isn't fulfilling my needs sexually. What should I do? I'm just going to go ahead and answer that. You need to talk to each other. You need to go to the Lord in prayer, both of you. Um, if you are the one who's been dealing with hurt from your past or abuse, and that's causing you to hold back um, sexually, from your spouse, like let the Lord heal you in that area. Go get counseling if you need counseling. Have communication um, and work that out. It is so important that you take time to pray together and play together and lay together. Yes. This is your homework from church this week. Go out on date night yes. this week. Okay, date night, everybody, this week. And have a conversation with each other. What can I do to help this relationship get better? What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? How can we pray together more? How can we play together more? How can we lay together more, right? You're at date night, you're off to a good start, but have that conversation because we wanna have healthy marriages yes. in our church, right. amen? amen? So I wanna say this to all of our single people and all of our married people. If you're single and you're going through a phase of life and you're concerned, maybe you're confused or you're worried about what God has for you, um, or if you're married and you're struggling in your relationship a little bit right now, you're fearful over will things work out, will things get better, I'm going to close with this passage, Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Yes. As you trust God, 
He will come through for you. He will lead you into his plan for your life. Even when it doesn't look like things are going to work out, God is still good. He's still in control. He still has a plan for you. So trust the Lord with all your heart. Yes. Don't lean on your own understanding, what you think uh, is wrong or, or what you think you should do, but follow Jesus. Trust him to lead you into what's right. Amen. Okay, so we're going to close now. I'm going to first take time to pray uh, for the people in our church. I want to do this. If you're single, um, I'm going to ask you to stand. And by that, I mean if you're not married, if you're engaged, if you're dating, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, just go ahead and stand up right now. It's okay. We're not going to embarrass you. Just going to invite you to stand because we're going to pray for you. Yes. Okay? I know some people are like, why do I have to stand? I'm trying to help you out right now. Like, look around. <laughs> the house lights are still up, you know? You can be like, who are you? <laughs> hey. Um, but we want to pray for you. Amy, can you pray for the... God, we thank you so much for everyone that is standing right now in Mesa and in Ahwatukee. And God, we pray that you would help them to know you better, God, that they would learn to deeply trust you. And God, we pray that as they go forward from today, that they would walk confidently in who you have created them to be. And God, they would pursue becoming the person that you have called them to be. God, we pray that you would show them the, the steps to take and, and directions to go, Lord. And we just know and believe that you have an awesome plan for their lives. God, and we as their church family come around them today and we support them and we cheer them on as they pursue you. Amen. 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 All right, you can take a seat and then I'm going to ask all of our married couples to stand up. Yes. We're going to pray for you, married Amen. couples. So singles, we love you, we believe in you. Married couples, we love you and we support you. We're gonna take a moment to pray for you. Amy, yes. will you pray for all of our married couples? God, we thank you so much thank for the you, marriages Jesus. that are represented in our church, God. And we know and believe that you have brought these people together for a purpose. And God, you know exactly where every marriage is, God, where they're, they're at in their relationship, if they're thriving or if they're struggling. And God, we are praying and declaring today that Generation Church will be a church with strong marriages. Yes. And God, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see areas that that we can improve personally. Mm -hmm. God, we pray that you would raise up the men of our church to be strong yes, leaders God. in their households. God, that they would be godly husbands. And Lord, we also pray for the women that are standing, that they would be wives who respect their husbands, God, and that love you and serve their family. And God, we know that when we're both pursuing you, God, that we will be able to pursue each other and have a strong marriage. And that is what we're praying for. And that's what we're fighting for as Generation Church today, God. And we're just, we place all of these marriages in your hands, God. And we ask that you would bless them, Lord, so that they can serve you faithfully. Thank you, Amen. 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 You can go ahead and take a seat for a minute. And we're just going to take a moment to celebrate what the Lord has done for us and take communion together as a church. If you need a serving of communion, you can just raise a hand. Uh, either campus, our experience team will bring you a serving of communion. And I think this is a good day for us to take communion together because as we talk about the marriage relationship, we are reminded of our spiritual relationship with Jesus and how all, of what, all the things that we desire um, in our relationships with people are actually reflections of our greater desires from the Lord and for what the Lord has for us. The, the love we desire from each other is really just a shadow of the love that we receive from our Father in heaven. And we talk about sacrificing for each other. It's really just a reflection of the sacrifice that Jesus made for his church. 
and the intimacy we want with each other is just an echo of the intimacy we have with the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us continuously. As we talk about love, we have to think about God's love for us. It's a perfect love. It never fails. It's our example in how to love one another. And so we take communion. We celebrate. We remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So as you get ready to receive and take communion, you can take the bread. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. First, let's take the bread. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. And we remember that you were beaten and abused for us. You allowed your body to be broken so that we could be made whole. We thank you, Lord. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you for allowing your blood to be shed for us, Lord, so that our sins could be washed away, that we would be able to be made clean, to be received by you, we could be forgiven by you. And we know that this covenant was sealed with your blood. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We remember your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.